Ons leven is vaak druk. Elke dag stellen we onszelf vragen zoals... Wat gaat de dag brengen? Wat trek ik aan? Krijg ik vandaag wel alles af? Er zijn ook grotere vragen zoals... Wat is de zin van mijn leven? Wie ben ik? Leef ik mijn droom? Hoe word ik gelukkig? Dit zijn grote levensvragen. En vaak is er maar weinig tijd om hier goed over na te denken. Alpha is een plek waar je die tijd neemt. Samen ga je op zoek naar de antwoorden op je vragen. Je ontdekt tijdens een aantal bijeenkomsten wat het christelijk geloof inhoudt. Je ontmoet leuke, nieuwe mensen... en je bespreekt je vragen en ideeën in een informele omgeving. Alpha begint met een gezellig moment van ontmoeting en lekker eten. Zo leer je elkaar op een ontspannen manier beter kennen. Na het eten luister je naar een inspirerend verhaal. Elke bijeenkomst staat een ander onderwerp centraal. Daarna is er alle ruimte om hierover door te praten in kleine groepen. Dat levert interessante gesprekken op. Alpha is voor iedereen, of u nu wel, niet of een beetje gelooft. Het is gratis, gezellig en inspirerend. Je bent van harte welkom op Alpha. Hey, can we give the Lord some more praise in this place? Let's give some glory to the King of Kings. Lord, we thank you, God. We worship you. We thank you for your presence in this place, Lord. We thank you, God, that today you want to speak to us and open our spiritual eyes and ears to hear and to see what you want us to see and to hear what you want us to hear, God. Open our hearts, Lord, for your word this morning. And God, let your name be praised and glorified through everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And it's so good to see all of you on this, uh, this beautiful Sunday morning. I don't even know if the sun is shining, shining by now because it's been such an amazing, sunshiny time inside of here. Uh, but, um, you know, just uh, really excited about uh, today's message. Uh, we're, we're in, actually, we're in a series called The King and His Kingdom. And uh, what we want to do is we want to kind of explain uh, who our king really is, who King Jesus really is, and what his kingdom really looks like. And uh, we're, we're going into that a little bit more today, uh, actually based on the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, just uh, look, look up the book of Philippians. Uh, we'll be uh, in that book, basically the whole um, message this morning. And um, actually, um, we're going to be taking parts from Philippians from all the way from the beginning to the end. And if you want, we can actually read the whole book. How about that? Yeah? Okay, you're excited about this, right? Now, we're, we're actually going to actually pick and choose a few verses. I encourage, highly encourage you to read the whole book uh, at home so that you actually know the context of this as well. But this is a powerful book, uh, a really great uh, book to read, uh, like a letter, great letter to read because, you know, in this letter, actually, the, the Apostle Paul, he was really excited about this church in the city of Philippi. And uh, if, you look so, if you look at some of the other letters that are there in the New Testament, um, Paul wasn't so happy about those churches, but he was really happy about the church in Philippi. So it's full of joy. It's an amazing uh, uh, letter to read. And it's, so it's directed to a church in a city of Philippi. I just want to kind of um, paint a little picture here before I get into that, uh, and that is that uh, actually a few months ago I preached a message uh, about Matthew chapter 16, uh, about the ecclesia, that, that Jesus builds his ecclesia. In fact, when, when, uh, when, he asked, when Jesus asked his disciples who they thought that he was, 
um, Peter gave the right answer and, and he said like, you know, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says this to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I just love that verse because it speaks of how strong the church is. You know, even though we're, we're, we're pushed to the side in our, in our culture and, and, and day to day, we're pushed to the sides, you know, the church will always thrive. And, and the ecclesia, which is the word that is used here in the Gospel of Matthew, the ecclesia has a very important meaning. And I try to bring, bring out that word quite a few times these last couple of, month, uh, these last couple of months to kind of explain to you that church is so much more than, uh, than an institution or an organization or uh, a building. Any, all those things, you know, they're there, but they're way not as important as what the Ecclesia truly is, and that is God's people that are sent out by him in this world. The Ecclesia speaks about the people of God. And uh, I, I want to kind of paint that picture, what, what it looks like. And in fact, the Ecclesia is a kingdom community. You know, when you look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus basically teaches us how to pray, he says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus' plan is that we, as the ecclesia of, of Jesus, that we actually are instrumental in letting this earth look a little bit more like heaven. We're representatives of Jesus in this world. And I, believe, I firmly believe that in our day and age, when the world around us seems to get more darker, that Jesus wants to shine his light through us, through the ecclesia, through the church, through God's people, in this dark world around us. And he wants to use you and me in that, in that process. Now, the church should look like a little bit like heaven if we are to expand the influence of the kingdom of heaven in the world around us, at your workplace, in your schools, everywhere where you live your life. God's heart is that kingdom influence. The kingdom of God will become visible and tangible in, in the world around us. What I love about Philippians is that it's actually a picture of a church that is a colony of heaven Everybody knows the word colony, right? It's a colony of heaven in a dark world. The city of Philippi actually has a very interesting story because it, it was in uh, Greece, current day Greece. You can actually see a map right here. There it is. You see Philippi right there. It was a very influential city in that area. And it was a colony of the city of Rome. It was a Roman colony, which means that there was a Roman way of life a Roman culture right there. It was a Roman, you know, way of doing things. Everything was Roman right there. It was a little bit of Rome away from Rome. So Philippi, the city of Philippi was a colony. And within that colony, there was another colony. The people of God, the Ecclesia, who were a colony of heaven. So I love how Paul kind of expands on, that, on that, that whole idea of what it means to be a colony. In fact, when you read the, the book of Philippians, there's a couple of hints towards that. But before I go into that, uh, you know, what does it really look like if it's a colony of, of heaven? What does it look like if a city is a colony of Rome? I think you can compare it to, like, for instance, Holland, Michigan. How many of you have ever been to Holland, Michigan? Right? It's like a couple of people are real excited. <laughs> it's like I've been there once. I'm not sure I want to go back, but that's a whole other story. 
but there's a windmill right there, and it does look a little bit like Holland here. Um, and you could also compare it to, um, like, that's like a colony of Holland right there in America, but you can also compare it to, like, uh, like France in the summertime. There's whole areas, like Dordogne, Ardèche. We've been there this summer, and we actually had to kind of rush away from the touristy areas because there were too many Dutch people right there. I'm like, I got enough Dutch people in my church. I just want some, some peace and quiet right now. I'm going to get some angry emails after this sermon. Don't throw rocks at me right now, okay? But it's a little bit of Holland away from Holland, some of those areas in France. And that is exactly what, what, what Philippi was as it relates to Rome and what the Ecclesia is as it relates to heaven. We look at Philippians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 27. Paul writes this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. So it's like, you live right here, but you're actually not a citizen of the Netherlands. You're actually not a citizen of, of whatever country you're from. You're actually a citizen of another place. That's really the picture that Paul's bringing up right here in this verse. And he continues explaining what it means. And, and then in uh, actually in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, he does the same thing. He says this, do all things without grumbling or dispute, disputing. We'll talk more, more about that later that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So as Christians, we, we live in a crooked and twisted generation. That's how, that's a picture of, of Philippi, of the city of Philippi. Yes, there was a lot of like culture right there, Roman culture right there, but it was a culture that was opposed to the, kingdom, the culture of the kingdom of God. And I believe our world today is not much different. You know, sometimes we think that the world we live in right now is worse than the world it was like 2,000 years ago. It isn't. It's as godless as the Roman culture in those days. In fact, the Philippian believers, they were actually persecuted by their peers, their, their Roman peers, because they didn't serve the emperor. They served another emperor. They served the King Jesus. So they were kind of like pushed aside by society. So they lived in a twisted and crooked generation and shone as lights right there in the world. Philippians 3, verse 20, if the point isn't clear yet, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. So we're citizens of heaven and we're waiting for the king of heaven to return. That's what he's saying right here. Powerful, powerful analogy that he's using right here the question you we all need to ask ourselves is what if we're supposed to be as the ecclesia as the church if we're supposed to be a colony of heaven what does a colony of heaven look like and how can you and i contribute to the fact that we're a, king, a colony of heaven together what does it look like what does it feel like he explains that in the book of philippians so what I want to do right now is, some of you are going to be shocked right now, because I have 12 take-homes. <laughs> Relax, we're going to go really fast, okay? 12 characteristics of what a colony of heaven looks like, which also kind of hint at what God is asking from each and every one of us if we want to be part of a colony of heaven. 
We're going to get into that. And in fact, I want to encourage you to write it down what those, those 12 characteristics are. They're all straight from the text. That's how, how we're going to run through Philippians really quickly. Um, and, um, and if you don't, if you can't write that quickly on your phone or, or by hand, there's also uh, like the Version Bible app. I shared it on my Facebook profile. There's a link that you can actually uh, go to and you can see all those points uh, on, the, um, on, on that Version event. So um, hope you can find it. It's a bit of new technology that we're experimenting with at this moment. So what are those 12 characteristics of heaven? First one is this. We're a colony that has a joint mission. We have a joint mission. And the mission is the expansion of the colony. The church, the ecclesia, we strengthen ourselves inwardly to be effective reaching the world that is outside from us. Philippians 1 verse 3, Paul says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I love that, the partnership in the gospel. There's this partnership going on with, between Paul as, as the apostle who helped get this church started and then and they're, they're, them sending Paul further on to reach more people with the gospel of the kingdom. There's this partnership. And I believe that, that we as, as a church and we as individuals, we can live in partnership with what God is doing around the world. I'm so thankful that as a church, we, we're part of a, a global church, celebration church, and that we get to be a part of what God's doing in Zimbabwe and in Israel and America and Paris and other places. We will introduce our Paris pastor in a couple of weeks from now. We're part of something bigger. And not just within the... The, the, the walls of, of Celebration Church, even outside of that. We want to be a blessing for God's kingdom around the world. Which is not just, you know, in faraway countries, in Zimbabwe and those places, but also right here on our doorstep. It's amazing how we as a church, you know, years ago we started this, this clothing bank. We're serving people from every nation, tribe and tongue that live in Hilversum and, and we give them free clothes. Sometimes used clothes, but they're really nice clothes. And we can be a blessing to them. And as we do it, we can actually shine God's light in their dark worlds as well. We have a food kitchen that, that, we're, that, that we serve in and, and we help you know, people that are lonely and, and maybe not have money enough for a healthy meal to, to gather together and, and bless them that way. Also another way to actually you know, be in partnership with the gospel. You know, we have our missionaries that are sent out from this, this place, different parts of the world. We... You know, we're, we're partnering with Celebration Church Zimbabwe, feeding 60,000 kids. We actually have a video that we'll show at some point of, uh, of a couple of teenagers that we helped um, to, um, to, to get their schooling in that nation that is so uh, poverty-stricken. God is calling us to make a difference, to be in partnership with what God's doing around the world. There are so many other opportunities that we, that we have in that. So the mission is, is, is the expansion of the colony. The second characteristic is that there's love for one another. Love for one another. Philippians 1 verse 9 says this, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. In other words, there was already love in the church in Philippi. There can always be more love because God is love, right? So 
when he fills us, when he fills a church with love, there's always more available for us and for us to hand out to other people. In fact, Jesus said this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's like, I don't understand churches that, where there's no love, where, where people hate each other, where people don't really bond with one another out of love. This is not a church. A church is characterized by the love that we have for one another. And it means also that when we sometimes make mistakes, we have grace for one another. You know, we, we, we decide to stick together no matter what. That is really what family is about, right? So when, when I have a fight with my son, he doesn't walk away. He's, six, he's nine years old. And he doesn't just, you know, move in with somebody else. You know, we'll work it out. Sometimes it takes a little time. But we'll try to work it out. We'll always work it out. Because there's love that binds us together as a family. And we're, as God's family, love is the one thing that will, will, buy, will keep us together. And the one thing that will show the world outside that we truly are his disciples. Third characteristic is that it strives for holiness. And it's my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. God calls us to be pure and blameless. Now, what does that mean? Because it kind of sounds like a big burden on us, right? And, and, and I don't know about you, but I've seen that kind of go off rails as well, where there's so much focus on that we need to be holy because God is holy. And, you know, the Bible's really clear that that actually should be the case. But if you try to do that in your own strength, you're going to leave burnout. You're actually going to do the very things that you didn't want to do. Paul actually was struggling with that as well when you try to do it in your own strength. When you try to kind of live holy and hopefully God will accept you. That is not the message of the gospel. Jesus provided it all for us when he died on the cross. We're righteous, we're holy in him. But out of that, we get to live holy lives. And he actually gives us the strength. He gives us the power to live lives that are holy. Actually, the next chapter in Philippians, he, he explains that, Paul. He tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's him who works in us by his Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this alone, living holy lives. He's helping us. This deals with integrity as well. You know, integrity means that you're the same on the inside as on the outside. So you don't want to look more holy when you come to church than you really are on a Sunday because that's where you kind of lose your integrity. And you're going to be like, uh, you know, people are going to be very impressed by you until you fall, <laughs> until you, they see that there's actually something different in your heart. So God wants us to live lives of integrity where the, our outside is the same as our inside. But it changes. It all starts on the inside as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And we're changed. We're transformed by him. It's amazing that God actually meets, meets the um, requirements that, that, that he has for us. He meets them himself by his Holy Spirit in us. Fourth characteristic, a colony of the kingdom of heaven demonstrates God's love to others through good works. Philippians 1, verse 9 through 11, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. We saw that already. With knowledge and all discernment, 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what is the fruit of righteousness? So we're, we're in right standing with God because of what Jesus has done for us. But when that's the case, there always needs to be a, an outworking of that. There needs to be a visible result of that in our lives. And that's the fruit of righteousness. You know, we, we become holy. You know, God does a work in our hearts. And it becomes visible on the outside with the good works that we do amongst each other. Each other, we bless one another. But also to the world outside. That they see that, hey, we actually care for them. We actually care for those who are in need around us. And that we leave a picture of who Jesus really is and how much he loves this broken and dark world. We can show what it means that love, God loves us. To demonstrate the fruit of righteousness, demonstrate his love through good works. The fifth one a colony of heaven is united in spirit and mind and love. Philippians 1.27, you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2 verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If you don't get it after that verse, I don't know. But God, God calls us as a church to be one, to be united. United we stand, divided we fall. And I believe that that's one, one of the things that God is teaching us as a church as we've gone through a rough time. What does it really mean to be one? What does it really mean to be united, to stick together as a family, as a church family? It doesn't mean that we always agree with one another about everything. We don't have to. Because everybody has their own unique ideas about things and that's all right. And, you know, God will sometimes show us that, hey, maybe the other person was right. But we can be united, we can be one, in spite of our differences. And God is calling us to that higher standard, that we actually live in unity with one another. And by doing so, make a, make a huge difference in the world around us. We're united. And it's only possible that we're one and that we're united because of the, my sixth characteristic, and that is that the, the co a colony of heaven consists of people who are humble. If you're not humble, if you're proud, you think your way is always the best way. It's my way or the highway. If you're proud, you don't really care about what other people think, what other people feel. But when we're humble, actually, we give space to that other person to have a different opinion, and we actually get to talk about it. We get to pray through it. You know, maybe God will show us even another way. But it starts with humility. Humility is key there. Paul says this, Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I believe that Thousand Hills, the way forward, is a place where we count others more significant than ourselves. It's a place where we live as in humility towards one another. It's a place where there's no more room for selfish ambition and, and conceit. We're no longer, you know, we're not desiring platform or seats of authority or those things. No, we want to serve one another. 
Because that's really what, what Jesus says, you know. That's why the word deacon is so powerful, because it's derived from the word diakonos, which means servant. And, and, and we're all servants. I'm a servant of you guys. We serve one another. When we, when we get that, suddenly pride doesn't have any place anymore in our midst. We can't, we won't battle with each other anymore for things and getting our way or getting our opinion, you know, underlined or something like that. We can be humble. We start, it starts with humility. Let's hold each other accountable for that as well, for humility. If you see something in my heart that you think, hey, I don't know what pastor is doing, come and talk to me, right? I want to be humble enough that you can actually talk to me about that when you see something in my life. And, and I expect me to be able to say, do the same thing with you. That's what it means to be family. If I see something in my kids that I don't like, and, you know, maybe the first time I won't address it, but I, if, when I see something repeating, I will talk to them about it. I will try to let them see things from a different angle. Hey, when you do this, this is how I perceive it. This is how other people perceive it. Maybe it's time to change this. Humility is key. The seventh characteristic is that it leaves no place for negativity. Oh, that's a powerful one. Real powerful one. I read this verse already, Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without rumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you will shine as lights of the world. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Attitude is so important. You know, we can do, we can be on the road to, to be on the welcome team or the worship team or whatever team, and we do it because we kind of feel like, well, if I don't do it, nobody else does it. That's a bad attitude to, to do something, to serve in the house of God. The right attitude to serve in the house of God is like, how can I make the name of Jesus greater? How can I lift his name up with what I'm doing? How can I help other people about how I'm serving? And, and we look at it from a totally different perspective. And I don't even understand why people can get so negative in church. Because we have the best message. We have the best Lord. We serve the King of Kings. And Jesus is positive. I mean, he went through, through horror when he went to the cross, right? But still he kept his eyes on, on God, on God his Father. And we can focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to keep looking at it in his face. Because when negativity comes our way, when, when the devil, devil is whispering in our ears, nah, 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 nah. have you ever had that? It's like, Shh, I don't want to hear it. I just want to keep focusing my eyes on Jesus. Positivity. When we're negative and we argue with other people, we will never shine as lights in the world. Nobody will be attracted to your faith if all you do is complaining. You show up at work on Monday morning, hey, how's, how's, me, how's your weekend been? Yeah, I went to church. <laughs> Why do you go to church if that's, if that's how you feel about it? Surely something amazing that God has done, or maybe that he's spoken to you, there's always something. You know, not every Sunday is going to be as powerful maybe as, 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 as the other Sundays, and that's fine. We're humans, and God's in our midst. His presence is here. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. This is his house. This is his family. 
It's all about his glory. He is king. He is Lord. So leave no place for negativity. It's full of joy. Kind of expands on the previous one. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me, with Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Always. What does always mean? Always. Right? Rejoice always. It's, I mean, it's that clear in the scripture. Let's rejoice. Let's look to Jesus. We serve with joy. We give with joy. We go through suffering with joy. There's always joy when, when you live in God's presence, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of joy. You may be going through the hardest tribulations and trials in your life, but because you have Jesus in your life, because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you will always be positive. You will always be filled with joy in spite of the pain, in spite of the devil trying to bring you down. You can be positive. You can be full of joy. It's a supernatural joy. That even though we, we humanly speaking, maybe we go through, through depression and other things like that, in the middle of that, there's a joy of the Holy Spirit that God wants to give all, all of you, all of us. You believe that? There's joy. Number nine, this is a real awkward one for me to talk about. So, sorry, I felt I had to do it anyway. A colony of heaven honors those who sacrifice their careers so they can serve God and his people. Philippians 2.29 says this, so receive, and it's talking about Epaphroditus. I'm sorry, I didn't invent the name. Sir, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor. Ooh, that's a hard word in a Dutch context. I know what, what, you're, what country you're from, but in a Dutch context, the word honor is like, it's almost like a dirty word. But the Bible speaks about honor repeatedly. It's a, it's a currency in the kingdom of God. It is a, a powerful principle in the, in the kingdom of God. And the problem in, 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 in our culture right here, and maybe it's not just in Dutch culture, but other cultures as well, is that we, we, we tend to either, we tend to be in one of two extremes. One extreme could be we put, we put leaders on a pedestal. That's very dangerous when that happens. It's like, well, they're the man of God, the anointed man of God. Yeah, even though they are, if you put them on a pedestal, the chance is pretty high they'll, high to, high they'll fall. The other extreme is like we, we, we treat them as a doormat. That's not good either. So somewhere in the middle, there needs to be a, a biblical, balanced way to deal with leaders, to give them the honor that they, that they deserve, realizing that it's not only the fact that we give honor to leaders, we give honor to one another, to everyone. The same way how you're honoring me, I'm honoring you. And I'm not waiting for you to honor me to, before I honor you. I will honor you first and the other way around. Honor is so key, so crucial in the house of God, in the family of God. We got we to gotta really let it sink in on what that, what that means for, for all of us. Characteristic number 10, we go fast. It's the, the a colony of heaven is on guard against false teaching. In other words, you don't add to the word of God, you don't subtract from the word of God. Philippians 3 verse 2, I love the words that Paul uses here. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look, at the, look, at for, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And, and the, he's speaking about people who were like legalistic 
teachers that came in and they said like, hey, if you want to become a Christian, you first have to become a Jew. That means that if you're a man, you got to be circumcised. They mutilate the flesh. That's what he meant there. So there is this legalistic tendency in that church in, in Philippi, and they had to stand against it, fight against it. And, and when I look at the history of our church, we've been dealing with legalistic tendencies as well, on one hand, and libertarianism or something like that, that's the other word. On the other hand, it's like, it doesn't really matter what you do. You, you're saved anyway. It's like, there's grace for you anyway. Just live your life the way you want. Surely there, the gospel is a different message than that has a different result than that. And we got to be on guard against both extremes there. And we got to make sure everything that we believe is biblical, is root, firmly rooted in the word of God. And that is one of the biggest desires that I have is that this church really understands the word of God and lives out the word of God the way it was written down and understood by the people 2,000 years ago or longer ago when they first got that revelation in the word. He's allowing us to, to understand what it is. So I really want to encourage you to, to be on guard. You know, if you hear things that sound good, they tickle your ears sometimes. The Bible speaks about that. Be on guard. Is it really the same message of the gospel, the kingdom, that you're hearing, or is it something that sounds good but isn't good when you really look at it from the word? That's why it's so important to, to, to really listen good and learn good what, what we're trying to teach you here at Thousand Hills. The characteristic 11, we're almost done. A colony of heaven has a living hope, has a returning king that's coming back. You know, we don't live here in this world just, just like... It's always going to be like this with all the pain and the hurt and the sickness and death and all these other things. No, Jesus is returning. Philippians 3.20, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We're eagerly waiting for him to return and to really be king over the whole world. And that takes, us, takes me to point 12. It, the colony of the kingdom of heaven keeps its focus right we keep our focus right and this is in in um, Philippians 4 verse 4 through 9 it says this the Lord is at hand do not be anxious about ever, anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we focus our prayers on Jesus the King. And he then continues on with focusing our, you know, our thoughts on Jesus our King and on our actions on Jesus the King. But you know what I feel is most crucial for us to understand today, for us to receive today, is actually what Paul says about the peace of God here. Just two things. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He goes on a couple of verses further and he says, the God of peace will be with you. Sometimes when we draw near to God, we're 
drawing near because there are certain benefits or certain blessings we want to have from him. We want peace in our marriage. We want peace in our finance. We want peace in our home. We want peace, workplace, wherever. And God says, it's all fine, and I want to give you peace. I want to give you shalom. But even more important, I personally, God personally wants to be there with you. His presence wants to be with you. The God of peace wants to be with you. I don't know about you, but when the God of peace is with me, I know I will have peace because wherever I go, he's with me, right? Peace is great, but I'd rather have the God of peace with me. So, he's, so he's, he wants to give that to you and me. I don't know what you're facing at this moment in your life. Storms may be raging in your, in your family right now. Maybe sickness has, has knocked on the door of your family. Maybe you're struggling financially. You don't know how to make ends meet. You have more month than money left at the end of the month. Maybe, you know, you're struggling in your marriage. Or at work, you have fights with colleagues or whatever it is. And you're desperately longing for peace. I know that that's something that God wants to do today. He wants to give a peace that passes all understanding. He wants to kind of pour it out in all of our lives, in all of our families, in this church. That shalom, that peace will reign again in our situation. But not separate, not divorce from the God of peace. Because he wants to be there with you in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the tribulation that you're going through. So often, you know, our prayers are like, you know, you go through a hard time in your life. And you're like, you're asking the Lord, hey, God, take me out of this trial. Take me out of this tribulation. And you're wondering, why does God leave me in this situation? It's because he wants you to have peace in the middle of that. Because he wants to be there with you, walk with you, not um, he doesn't want you to stay in the valley of death. He wants to take you through the valley of death. There is light at the end of the tunnel. The king is coming back as we saw earlier. There is healing. There is restoration available for you, in your family, in your home, in your life. So maybe we could all just stand in God's presence right now. Maybe we could just take a couple of moments and Think about areas in our lives where, where we need peace. And instead of God asking, asking God to change those situations, we ask the Lord to be in the situation, to give you his shalom, his peace, to give you the breakthrough that you need. I so strongly sense his presence in this place right now. And as we pray, after we pray, we're going to sing this song, Do It Again. And, and as we're going to sing that song, you actually have the opportunity to come forward and to find a place of prayer right here in the front. And we're going to lay hands on you. Our, our deacons and you know, some of the prayer team, they're going to lay hands on you, believing with you that there's breakthrough available for you, that there's peace in the middle of the storm available for you, that there's, there's healing and restoration available for you as well. But more than anything else, God wants to be there with you. He wants his presence 
to be there with you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads right now. Father, we come to you at this moment and we're so thankful that you're the God of peace. You are the God of shalom. You are the one who gives us a peace that passes all understanding, a, a peace that we don't even understand with our own minds because it's so all-encompassing, Lord. It just overflows us. It overruns our lives. We just get to rest in you, Lord. And God, as we think about our trials and tribulations that some of us are going through, God, we invite you in those situations. Jesus, take your throne in our lives, on, our, in, on the throne of our lives, Lord. God, we want you to be there with us, to help us, to, to chart a way out of the, the trials and tribulations we go through, but first wrestle with those as we experience your presence in our midst, in our lives. Because God, you don't want us to go alone in any of those circumstances. You want to, you're there and you want to be there for us. God, may your peace that passes all understanding fill our hearts and our minds to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.